At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse 15 this morning. And uh, this is one of those sermons that when I knew, when I saw the sermon calendar coming out earlier this year, this is one of those sermons that I've preached before, and I, but I also know that this specific teaching, in, uh, this specific teaching or this specific passage has the ability in our lives to do a lot of great healing, but also it has the ability to bring up a lot of past hurt. And so I understand the sensitivity, and I've been praying for you, I've been praying for me, I've been praying that this passage would do its work in our lives today. Um, But this is one of those passages that we come to in Scripture, and sometimes we're like, yeah, I know you say this, but that's not how this works. I know, you, I know this is what it's, your word says for us to do, but I, that's not how it works in the real world. And so today as we come to this passage, I am aware that the teaching that we're going to come to is probably goes against the way that you've been taught in every area of your life. And I want you to understand that this is the word of God and this is true. And this is God's design for us. Specifically, as we walk in this world together, because you and I both know that in life, conflict is inevitable. You only have to, I mean, you might even be conflicted with yourself in your own room, right? Conflict is is everywhere we go. It doesn't take much for us to live in conflict because our ideas are different, our assumptions are different. Our desires are different, and it's not too long until those things fly in the face of someone else that sees things differently, feels things differently. And if we're really honest with ourselves today, we've all been on the receiving end of someone else's sin. We've been on the receiving end of hurt that someone else has done something to us, and we have felt the hurt, we've felt the sadness, we've felt the betrayal of someone else doing something in our own lives, while also at the same time, we have been the ones guilty of hurting others in life. So we've all been there before. Someone hurts us, someone sins against us, and we expect that in the world, right? We expect for people of the world to hurt us. But what hurts even more is when we are hurt by our own family, or we're hurt by our own church family. Why does that hurt more? I think it hurts more because we've come to a space in those relationships, in those spheres of influence, where we've entered in and we've let our guard down. The more vulnerable we become before people, whether it's a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a minister in the church, 
or a small group leader, when we enter into that space of where we allow our true selves to be known, and then we're hurt, that hurts even more. Right? That hurts in a way that, that impacts us and causes us naturally to want to respond by saying, okay, I've done that, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to put myself in a position to be hurt like that again. And you guys following me? You guys have said that in your life, right? And when we're hurt so deeply, immediately things in our minds come to mind like, I'm never going to do that again, so I'm going to come up with all these coping mechanisms. I'm going to put up all these walls so no one's coming in. But then in your mind, you're like, well, i got to retaliate. That person is, has to get what they deserve. And we see, even in our culture today, we want to retaliate. We want to write someone off. We want something bad to happen to that person that hurt us. Even in our world today, we do this thing called ghosting people, right? You guys, have you ever been ghosted? Or or, or maybe you've been canceled, right? That's like a buzzword of today where, where people are just like, okay, you've hurt me, you're wrong, forget you, I'm writing you off, no longer have any part of my life. See, the world only gives us those options of how we deal with things. Right? The world has a very small list of the ways that we can deal with hurt and the ways that we can deal when other people sin against us, when others we disagree with, when others frustrate us or hurt us. But that's not how it should be. Today, as we are looking at this series entitled Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, we've been walking through the teachings of Jesus. We've been looking at as Jesus has come to establish his earthly kingdom in the hearts of people. We, that was our last series. And in this series, we're talking about how then do we live inside of this community of faith? How is it as we become followers of Jesus Christ and God grafts us into this beautiful thing called the church community, how is it that we live with one another inside of this new thing? And Jesus is aware that even inside of this thing, though you're forgiven and I'm forgiven, we're still going to mess up in each other's lives. And so Jesus, as he walks through this portion of Matthew 18, gives us the way in which we move towards peace, the ways we move towards reconciliation and repentance in the midst of us sinning against one another. Jesus is going to show us a better way. Jesus is going to show us a different way when we respond to someone sinning against us. So today, Jesus is going to outline how we are to treat one another when there is conflict. And let me remind you, because of Christ, we, inside of the church, have the ability to live differently. We don't have to follow the patterns of the world, but we, because we have been forgiven, we have the ability, because of Christ living inside of us, we have the ability to forgive others. So today, as we look at this, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. And this is often taught or thought of as a template for church discipline. Right now, when we hear that word discipline, normal, many times we hear it from the the opportunity, the way that I understood it growing up, is that when I do bad, I get disciplined. 
right? That somehow, like my parents, my parents were parents that used the belts or switches or anything they could get their hands on, whether it was a brush or whatever. I was not beat as a child, but I was disciplined, right? When my parents saw me going wayward, when they saw me walking down a path that was dangerous for me, my parents stepped in and they corrected me. And sometimes they did so through punishment, painful punishment, because pain is a powerful reminder, right? And so in that sense, sometimes that's how we see church discipline. When we think of church discipline, we think of ourselves, oh, this is painful. Someone needs to get corrected. And instead, when I think of church discipline, one, what I understand it to be is when we enter into this world and there is sin, we want to bring about correcting of that so relationships can be restored. Because remember, sin always damages relationships. Sin always makes relationships go this way, not this way. Always, always, always. And so when there's sin, that means the relationship's beginning to be frayed or go into a direction where there's division. So instead, church discipline, what that does, steps in and brings that back together. It mends something that is headed towards a wayward path. And church discipline, by design, is not supposed to be punitive. It's meant to be restorative. It's meant to restore fractured relationships. And so today, as we look at this passage, what we're going to see is that Christian, in Christian relationships, we pursue repentance and reconciliation. That's the work of the Christian life. Because we have repented and we have been reconciled, God now gives us this ministry of reconciliation. That that's a majority of our work is to seek that which is being divided. It's the process and the work of bringing things back together. I'll tell you, if, if I'm really honest with you, that's the majority of my work. When I'm sitting down with people throughout the week, I'm studying God's word, I'm doing all that, but when I'm meeting with people, you know what I'm trying to do? Bring God's word into their lives so that the fractured relationships in their lives can come back together. It doesn't always work, but that's the majority of my life, is seeking to restore relationships and restore people because sin messes with us. Sin damages us. It damages relationships. And so this is a mighty work and that God gives us the beauty and the power for there to be repentance and reconciliation. So as we look at this, the whole idea of this, as we look at this passage today, is to restore relationships. That's what's at the heart of Jesus, is that in this place, together, we're constantly seeking to restore relationships because there's constantly here, there are forces that are seeking to divide us. So today we're gonna to see three steps that Jesus lays out for us when someone in the church has wounded us. The first truth I want us to see today is that we are to go to win personally. Go to win personally. And when I say this word win, I'm not talking about winning the battle, I'm talking about winning your brother back. Right? There's, there's a way in which you can enter into an argument and you seek to win the argument, but you damage the relationship. That's not what I'm talking about when we say win here. The win is not winning the argument. The win is restoring the relationship. Okay, That's the win. 
If at the end of the day, we're better together and we believe that and we walk that out in our lives, that's a win. And so Jesus begins here by saying, go to win personally. Look with me in verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You see the win there? If someone sins against you, specifically a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ sins against you, there's an offense that has been made. There is a hurt that has been endured. There is a violation that has happened. And Jesus lays out the steps here. Right? Jesus acknowledges that in the church we are going to hurt each other. That's a reality. I hope you are aware of that. If you do church, if you live in community with other Christians, you're inevitably going to rub against each other's lives and you're going to hurt one another. And if you've never had that experience, you're missing out because you're not fully engaged. If you've never hurt someone in this church, if you look around and see other faces around here and you're like, yeah, remember that time, remember that time, remember that time. If you don't have those, remember those times, that means you're not fully engaged. Because to be fully engaged is to mean that along the way, I'm going to hurt you and you're going to hurt me. But that doesn't mean the relationship has to be, to be dissolved. See, there's a way in which we walk through this process. And because we're linking arms as brothers and sisters in Christ, we gain deeper relationships. We gain each other in a deeper way. Because then we get to know the heart and the mind of our brother and sister in Christ. So Jesus says here, he's acknowledging it. You're going to hurt each other. And he uses family language here by saying brother. Right? Because you're brother. We are family. There's a way in which we can deal with hurt that deepens relationship and deepens fellowship. And I think really there there are two ways in which we can deal with, with sin in uh, our lives when someone comes in and hurts us it's possible and then someone comes and sins against you and hurts you you could look at it and you could say you know what I'm gonna bear together with my brother or sister in this and I'm not gonna make it a big deal like it's 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 a small offense let's work let's work beyond this so we can we can continue in the relationship and you can make it not a big deal so you can drop it where you choose to bear with one another in long-suffering together. Or Jesus gives us the ways in which when it becomes a deal that we have to deal with it, this is how we deal with it. Right? These are the steps that we are to do. We are called to maintain relationships by winning our brother. And here we see the steps for restoring relationships. Jesus first tells us, that when there's a brokenness in a relationship, when there is a hurt, we're supposed to go personally and directly to the person who has sinned against you. Go directly to that person. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go directly to the person when they've hurt you. And I would even suggest, and this is not in scripture, I would suggest, though, before you even go to that person, analyze your hurt, analyze the sin. Because the sin that you feel may not actually be sin. Your hurt feelings may come from a difference in personality, may come from a difference of preference, may come as, as, 
some sort of difference that's not necessarily sin. So before you actually go to your brother, do some discerning work before the Lord saying, Lord, I feel this. What do I need to do with it? And if you can identify the fact that someone has sinned against you, then you go to that person. Go to them, not because of our preference, but because of we, our care for them and their hurt for us. And I can tell you that throughout this whole process, prayer is so important because the reality is you're blind and I'm blind. I can't see all things. You can't see all things. And sometimes we, our perception of things are, are not really the way they are. Maybe it's a part of the bigger picture, but it's not the bigger picture. So prayer is so important in this process. So Jesus points out to the person who has sinned, it is sinned against, the person that feels the effects of the sin, it is their responsibility to go. The initiative begins not with the one that has done the sinning, but the one that has encouraged or received the repercussions of the sin. Why is this so? Well, many times in life that people are going through lives and they don't even realize that they've sinned against you. I take this as, as it is. I don't think the majority of people are staying up late on nights saying, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to hurt this person, I'm going to sin against this person, and I'm going to sin against this person. I don't know people do that. Maybe there are, but then there are deeper issues. But more likely, as we're doing life, sometimes our sin steps in and we don't even realize we've done it. I can't know that I hurt you unless you tell me that I hurt you. Right? Again, I'm not sitting home. I'm not looking out on a Sunday morning. Like, you know, today I want to hurt that person. I'm going to hurt that person. I don't want to. I'm not doing that. But it is possible for me even to hurt you or you to hurt others. So Jesus says here, the one that has been wronged, you go. You go and you tell him his fault. So Christian believers that have been wronged, they're the ones that take initiative. And they don't first, it doesn't say go and share with all of your friends. Don't, don't get a group because this is what we want to do, right? When we feel wronged, we want to get our army around us, right? We want to get our tribe around us. And so we want people to feel our hurt. And you know what's going to happen? When you begin to tell someone else about someone else's hurt, how they've hurt you, you've just entered into sin. Because what's going to happen is because people love you, they're going to start to want to take sides. And they're going to think badly, they're going to feel badly against the person that hurts you. Because by nature, when you hurt one of our family, we want to band together and hurt those that hurt our family. And so that's why Jesus says, don't go to other people. Go directly to the person first, as fast as you probably can. Do it quickly. Because the more time that, that uh, elapses from the time of the hurt to the time of the conversation, guess what happens? Just naturally in your mind, you're adding to the narrative of the story. You're creating in your mind, in the space where there is no information, you're adding information to it. And so you're creating a narrative all by yourself that you're bringing to the table that may not even be the cause or the case. In your mind, you're thinking worst case scenario about that person. Am I true? Am I being honest? You guys follow me? Can I get an amen on that? That's why Jesus says go. Like, nip it right away. 
As soon as it happens, allow there to be less time so you can go directly to the person. And when you do, do it one-on-one, face-to-face, privately. One-on-one, face-to-face, privately. Between you and him alone. For when you enter into that space and you come with a posture of humility and you're like, hey, can we talk? i got to talk to you about something. And you sit down, you see that person in their eyes, you can see their body language, they can see your body language. And the person begins to say, hey, you hurt me. You stepped in and you, you hurt me. And then the person has the opportunity to say, whoa, I didn't, I, I didn't realize. I am so sorry that I did that. My bad, would you forgive me? And then instantly you have restored that relationship. That's the way it's supposed to go. By God's design, that's the way it's supposed to go. But you and I both know that's not the way it always goes. Right? Because we, especially as we're the ones sitting down across that table and someone tells us that, they, that we hurt them, our initial response is protecting ourselves. Right? We want to throw up those defenses and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not, I, I no. Right? Or we become prideful and we don't want to enter into that or be rebuked. When in essence, our posture should be that of if if we've sinned against someone, realize our great and mighty heavenly father has already forgiven us, right? So we can step into that and we can say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm flawed. I need Jesus just as much as you need Jesus. And if we want our brother that has a deeper affection, a deeper love for one another because we are able together to mend and build that relationship in a way that's gonna make us stronger. Right? That's, that's what we do in, in bodybuilding, right? You wanna make strong muscles. What do you have to do with those muscles before you make them strong? You have to tear them, right? Like when you're lifting weights, what you're doing is you're making micro tears on your muscle. And then when that has been hurt, what happens? Your body comes in and heals it and makes it stronger. Same in our relationships together, right? The, the hurts that are here are not meant to divide, but they're to make us stronger because then after, after time we look back and we're like, we have been in the trenches together. You know those people that have been with you in those trenches, right? The ones that have linked arms with you and says, hey, we're here together. That's a mighty force that we have in Christ. I can't tell you the number of times that people have got hurt or been hurt because of a simple misunderstanding. A simple misunderstanding. And if the misunderstanding is not communicated or the problem is trying to be solved through gathering sides or some people come to me and they're like, hey pastor, can you believe what so-and-so did? I'm like, wait, I'm not on that bus. Like, don't come to me and my response will be to you. And some of you have heard me say this before. Have you talked to the person? I'm like, stop talking. I don't want to hear anymore. Don't come talk to me unless you've gone and talked to the person first. In my experience, when one that has been hurt or has been sinned against, the majority of the time, it really is a simple misunderstanding. That someone may have said a word the wrong way or said it with the wrong voice inflection. And man, I, I could tell you how simple it is at times, like just to get two people sitting down in a room and you just say, hey, tell me how you're feeling, tell me what you're thinking, and the, giving the person an opportunity to respond. 
You know, there's sometimes when we watch TV shows, there are some TV shows that are so frustrating. One of the ones that's most frustrating for me is Cobra Kai. Now, if some of you guys have, have seen this, it's the story of Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence 20 years later after the Karate Kid. Okay, so they come back and now they, they are in this place now where they're grown up and, and, and Daniel's doing really, really good. He's a hot shots car salesman and, and uh, Johnny's not doing so well. He's barely keeping things together. And in essence, we see their lives clash together and they end up having kids who has lives that crash, clash together and it becomes this whole drama series. That's why it's a drama series. But there are times in that movie that as a pastor, I get so frustrated. I'm like, I'm like I got to get these two guys in a room and they just got to sit down. Like stop thinking, stop feeling and like sit across the table from one another and talk about what you're saying because you're trying to move towards the same end. But you're seeing it from different perspectives and you're bringing all your past hurt together into this conversation. So just sit down and be quiet for two minutes. You speak, you respond, you speak you respond, and maybe the end of the show will end up like that. I don't know. I'm hoping that it's. But there are so many times in life that it's like super frustrating because you can see it and you're like, hey, this could all be like settled if they just had a conversation, if they would just talk to one another. So Jesus practically calls us to be people who take initiative when we have been sinned against when we have been wronged we initiate the process of reconciliation second i want us to see not only do we go to win personally but we go to win communally look with me in verse 16 but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses see jesus does understand also that it doesn't always go down that way. That sometimes people walk in the flesh. Sometimes people are still blinded by pride. Sometimes those things happen. So sometimes it's not as easy as just two believers having a conversation and the thing gets mended. Sometimes you need help. And so Jesus here is saying that if that wrong has been done and it's been met with rejection or stubbornness, the second involves bringing in a small number, no more than two other believers, to come along, to not ridicule the brother, but seek to restore the brother. So if our private attempts don't work, what do we do? We bring a brother or two into the situation. We go to someone and say, hey, I'm still hurt by this. It didn't get fixed. Hey, would you come and be a witness? Would you come and help us sort through this? And the reason that we, we want to bring other people in, I think, is for three reasons. First, we want to bring other people in because we, as the one that's making the accusations, we might be wrong. We might need a third party to look at the situation, and, and they may be able to say, hey, I know you feel this way, but there's not actually an, a, the accusations that you're making of this person that aren't, aren't there. Or you're there. The second reason is because the person that has done the harm, maybe they're still blinded by it. And maybe by bringing others into it, you can highlight the sin. You can highlight the pride. You can highlight the person that's doubling down on their defense. But third, when you have more, it adds to the community. 
Right? It adds to the community when, when, when brothers can agree, when, when family can agree in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of, of, of divisions, when you can come to a sense of agreement, there's power there that leads to deeper community. And here's, here's a couple things about the role of the witness. Right? If you're asked to be a witness in a situation, if you're asked to enter into a time of sin or an issue of sin, I want to encourage you, as a witness, not to take sides. Your job is not to take sides. Your job is to investigate. Your job is to look at the situation as seeking the Lord for wisdom in humility, saying, God, help me to see with your eyes what's going on in this situation. Help me not to take sides, not, not to go through the sin of partiality, but instead let me stay a neutral party so that I can understand because at the end of the day, the goal is to win our brother. At the end of the day, the goal is, is that we would be one, building our team together. So investigate. Seek to understand the person that has been hurt and how they've, been, how they've responded and the person that has done the alleged hurting. Look to see what's going on there. And also know this. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17 says this. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines them. Right, just because someone comes to you and starts waving the flag, crying a foul on someone else, the first person to speak is not always the person that's right. right? That's why we need others that can sit and be able to look and investigate and say, okay, hey, here's the situation. I, I know how you see this. And then I know how this person sees this. And you're in there to seek to bring reconciliation in this case. So what Jesus is here doing is he's, he's giving us very practical advice. If the offending person does not receive the correction of the personal step, then having two or three other witnesses to bring clarity that, that help bring clarity to the situation to identify the clear sin that has happened. And hopefully the parties at that point come to reconciliation. The woundedness is addressed. The hurt is addressed. And forgiveness is sought then you have won your brother. But Jesus also knows that sometimes that still doesn't happen. Instead, our third step that we see is we go to win congregationally. Look with me in verse 17. Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again to say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So if we get into a situation where there's sin and the first two steps don't work, we go to the third step of telling it to the church that is to say that the sin now comes up to a broader community in the church that should be involved in helping again, not ridicule, not make judgment against, but to bring back together. Because sometimes it's still possible that people walk in their flesh, walk in their sin, and when that sin comes to the, the level of bringing 
broadcast in a public way, then there is the sense of, oh, the gravity of my sin is this. I need to respond in an appropriate way. And so bring it to the church. But then Jesus goes on. He says, I'm aware that sometimes that still doesn't work. If someone has sinned and they're still unwilling to seek repentance, they're still unwilling to be reconciled, then really that's a sign that they don't have a, the Spirit anyway. For we know that one of the works of the Spirit inside of a believer is to convict us of sin. If someone has clearly sinned and there's no conviction of sin, then it is open to suppose that that person, because they're not seeing conviction of their sin, because the Holy Spirit is not present, then they may not be a believer. And so this is what Jesus says. If they refuse to listen, then treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. Treat them how? As a really bad sinner. Right? Gentiles were really bad sinners. Tax collectors were the worst. Right? So treat them as an unbeliever, not meaning that we kick them to the curb, but instead we see them for who they really are as an unbeliever. And how are Christians to respond to unbelievers? Through love. Right? The expectation on their life gets lowered. Right? Because unbelievers can't act like believers. We can't expect that unbelievers act like believers. So instead of leaving them up to this expectation of, hey, you've got a responsibility here to work towards repentance and reconciliation. That's what we should expect among each other. But when someone's unwilling to do that, the bar gets lowered. And we understand that they are not walking with Jesus. They don't know Jesus. So we seek to lead them back to Jesus. That also means... That like if, in their, if they're in layers of, of leadership or other things like that, they have to be removed. Or you, you can't have someone, someone that's leading the church that now is unwilling to repent, unwilling to be reconciled. They have to be asked to step down and no longer in leadership. So when the church gets involved here, a community of believers seeks to help the sinning person see the reality of their sin and care well for their soul. That's the role of the church. And then Jesus continues in, in verses 18 through 20. I don't have time to fully unpack all these, but in, in verses 18 through 20, let me read them to you again, and then I'll, I'll give you some comments about it. Jesus says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, of the two, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. Now simply, these two verse, this, this section of, of uh, the Bible has been taken out of context so many times and abused in so many different ways. But simply, if you keep it in the context of what's happening, what Jesus is saying is when the church enters into discipline, into reconciliation and all that, this is scary business. right? There's a lot of fear. I'll tell you, as a leader, there's a lot of fear that I have when I, enter into, when I have to have those hard conversations. It's like, God, I just can't do this again. This person's gonna leave the church. It's gonna cause pain here. There's gonna be damage all over the place. And there are people who can be hurt for years and years and years if this person doesn't listen, if they don't follow through. So there's a lot of fear. I'll tell you, I don't like having those conversations, but it's what I'm called to do. 
And so I have to enter in. And I think what Jesus is saying here is he's giving us two helps. He's saying, first of all, church, believer, when you choose to enter into these steps, when you choose to do the hard work of reconciliation, realize that you're not going alone, but you have the authority of heaven with you. That's what he's saying. So church, whatever you bind on earth, We'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. If you walk through this process and you as a church see someone, that you've gone through all of these steps and this person is still choosing to be unrepentant, then you have the authority to bind them. To say, we're saying that we don't think this person is a follower of Christ. Now we're making judgments on our souls, but we're, we're saying that this is what we feel is going on. Jesus is saying, you have that authority, church. You have my authority. But then he goes on, he says, not only do you have authority, but you have my presence. Where two or three of you are gathered together, when you enter into this process as a body, realize you're not doing it alone, but I'm with you, and I am for you. I'm for you, the church, the body, hoping that there's reconciliation. That's what Jesus simply gets to. So not only do we have his authority, but we have his presence with us. Now, I, I agree that the process of, of church discipline and the way you walk through this may look a little bit different um, at times. And it looks a little different here at, at Woodside. But I'll never forget the time that I was in West Africa. And we were in a church service on a Sunday morning. And uh, there was a, a gentleman that came before the church. And it had come to the uh, attention of his wife that he had been unfaithful. And um, the, the church had stepped in and the church had brought about care and, and love and support for both. The elders had stepped in and were a part of it. And as a part of his restorative process is that he stood before the church on this Sunday morning and, and gave his testimony of how like he got caught up into sin, but then how the Lord redeemed him from that and how his relationship was reconciled. So he came clean before the church and then the church gave his wife opportunity to speak. And she shared about her hurt and she shared about how she felt betrayed and all of that. And then how the church stepped in and how together um, God was working. And now that they had made the recommitment to stay committed in their relationship and they were looking for the church for prayer and support. And it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. I, I was so taken aback by that. I was like, God, look at what you're doing. How mighty is that? Now, we don't do that a lot. Like, we're, as it talks about in Scripture, bringing sin before the church. I want you to know, like, it is not our practice here. If, if you're caught in sin and you've hurt someone, we're not bringing you before the church body on Sunday morning. Right? We're, we're going to deal with it. We don't sweep things under the rug. But instead, not everything needs to come to the attention of, of the whole church body. But we believe that things are dealt with in the right um, sphere of influence of where the sin and the harm took place. So if there's sin in a life group, then that, that becomes bringing it before the church. If there's a ministry team that's been serving together and there's sin there, that happens. It's, it's not until there, there's a sin against the church body. Like if I were to sin in an egregious way, like that would come to the attention of you guys. But on the, for the average Joe, like church discipline happens all the time. I get church discipline as people call me, call me up and they say, hey, pastor, can we meet? Because I, I, you did this and it hurt me. I'm like, yeah. So I get disciplined. Other people get disciplined. We get disciplined together. And it doesn't mean that we always have to broadcast it on some big screen. 
but we got to do and walk through the process of repentance and reconciliation in each other's lives. So today, if you're here, I understand that you may be carrying with you hurt from years ago. Someone in church hurt you along the way, and if you haven't come to the place of finding reconciliation there, then I encourage you, follow through the process of what has, God has laid out before you. As, as the Lord has just, go to the person and tell them that they've hurt you. And even if it's years ago, like may the Holy Spirit just bring a sensitivity there to bring that person back to mind where they say, well, you know what, I am so sorry. Or maybe you're here and you've been aware that someone has called you out for your hurt and you have been unrepentant towards it. I will encourage you today, pray that the Spirit has been softening your heart and instead of having to wait for that person to come to you, but you're aware that you hurt someone, that immediately, you, as soon as you leave this place, you're making a lunch, you're making a phone call, you're telling the person, hey, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Or maybe you've been guilty of not walking through this process, the process that's been laid out. Instead, you've been hurt, you've been trying to get your army together. But other people and trying to make that person feel bad or you've been walking through the season of retaliation or other things, man, man, today repent of that and say, God, I'm no longer going to go the way of the world, but instead I'm going to go the way that you have shown us. Because in the end, when you walk it out the way God has designed for us, it's designed to bring healing and it's designed to deepen our relationships. That's my encouragement to us today is let us not just be hearers of the word, but let us be doers of the word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. Father, we do recognize that in this church family, we hurt one another. But Father, we thank you that you've given us the process by which we can seek reconciliation, by which repentance can take place and the relationship can be restored. And so Father, I pray today that however this message is landing on us today, Father, I pray that we wouldn't just sit back and let it go in one year and out the other. But instead, Father, we would seek to truly practice what you lay out before us so that there may be healing. God, that's the design. Because in this place, we do have the ability to forgive. In this place, we do have reconciliation. We do have the ability to have things that are broken restored. And so, Father, I pray that this would be true about our church, that we would be a church, that we would be a community of believers, that we would be a family that follows in the footsteps that you've laid out for us. And so, Father, I'm aware, too, that with a message like this, the truth that you've proclaimed today means that we've got to do something with it. And so, Father, I pray where courage is needed, pray that would be given. Where opportunity is needed, pray that that would be would given. But, Father, I pray that as a result of this, that reconciliation and restored relationships would be a result. Father, we thank you. And as we sing now, God, continue to knit our hearts together to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.